started as a message on Job 38, when God answers Job from the storm. But as I soon realized when I was preparing for it, if you just drop right in the middle of the book of Job, it's quite confusing, and it kind of became a sermon or a message on the book of Job itself, which I don't normally do, but so the, the central text is when God answers Job, but we will be reading a couple other texts to orient us to what is going on. So we'll begin in the book of Job, but before we do that, let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word, that we may meditate on it. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would not only gain in understanding and knowledge, but also in wisdom, in the application of your word to our lives. And may both these goals center us, and may we see your glory more clearly, and may we glorify your name in both our learning and gaining in wisdom. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. We'll start with the first 12 verses of the book of Job, beginning in verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well. Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Thus ends the reading of God's word. We will be reading God's answer to Job later in the service. In C.S. Lewis's allegory, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it follows the story of the Pevensey children as they are transported into this other magical world of talking animals. In this world, there is a wicked witch representing Satan in the forces of evil. And there is the lion Aslan, who represents Christ, who represents God, who is the ruler of this realm called Narnia. Well, as the children are there, they are with some beavers in their home, and they're talking about this Aslan. And Susan asks the, one of the beavers, Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver responds, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. 
In another place in Lewis's writings, he describes Aslan as not being a tame lion. What Lewis was trying to preserve and represent was the glory, the reverence, and the power of God. This is something that I think is sorely lacking in our day and age. A knowledge of God's greatness. A knowledge of God's power and his wisdom over everything. We look at God often and tame him and think, he must do what we think is right. He must conform to what our moral standards are. And as we see in our passage and what we will see today, he must conform to our view of suffering. So when we go through hardships and trials, he must do what we want him to, or at least this is what we think. And what we see in Job is a God who isn't so tame, but a God who is good, a God who is wise. What this passage shows us is that the wisdom of God is our answer in suffering. The wisdom of God is our answer in suffering. And we will see that when we look Through the dilemma in Job, Job's error, God's answer, and Job's response. Those will be our points this morning. The dilemma, Job's error, God's answer, and Job's response. As we just read, Job is a very wealthy man, a very respected man. He has more than all in the East, and he's the greatest in all in the East. And this brings Satan to God. In chapter 1, with what we just read, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? He is blameless and upright. There is no one like him on the face of the earth. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, did you catch that? Who brought Job to Satan's attention? I'm sure Satan knew about him already, but in this passage... God says, have you considered my servant Job? In essence, what God just did was say, have you seen my star player? Go after him. Test him. It's God who begins the trial. And he doesn't do this because he's a wicked God. He doesn't do this because he's punishing Job. Actually, Job is in a very honored position here. Think of that. The angels are meeting in heaven. Satan himself is before God. And God mentions one man. And says, he is upright. He is blameless. He's my champion, in other words. And then Satan raises the question, why is he your champion? Have you not blessed him? This leads into the contest between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. We see Job representing this this seed of the woman who is in contest with the the serpent, with Satan himself. Because he must stand firm in this trial. He must not curse God. He must not reject him. Ultimately, Job stands firm And later in the chapter, it says that Job responded to all that happened, everything he lost, his children dying, all his goods being taken away, even his own flesh being stricken with whatever it was, with some form of sickness or boils or something. And in response, Job says, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? 
Job stands firm. So then what's the dilemma? Job does seem to pass this test. He doesn't reject God. So why then the rest of the book? Well, the dilemma in the book of Job is dealing with a principle. We could call it the retribution principle. That the good will not be punished and the wicked will be punished for their sin. That that's how God functions. This was the, the thinking in that time. That if you were righteous, you wouldn't suffer. God wouldn't punish you. That's only for the wicked. And so with this principle in mind, there's a dilemma then. Job's three friends come into the picture later in the book. And functioning according to this principle, they think Job must have done something wrong. He must have sinned against God. Because look at the punishment he he underwent. It was worse than anything they had ever seen. So Job must have committed some great sin before God. So that's their dilemma. Job's dilemma is in thinking, I haven't done anything. He's not saying he's perfect. He's no, he knows he's not perfect, but he hasn't committed this a gross sin before God. He's been walking faithfully. He's thinking, this, this can't be for a punishment. I, I love God. I serve him. And this is where that dilemma comes in. But there's another side to this dilemma. I don't know if you caught it, but it's what Satan charges against God. This principle that everyone believed, it seems, that only the wicked would suffer, that the righteous would prosper, Satan flips it on its head. And he says, does Job serve you for no reason? In essence, he's saying, He serves you only because of the way you've blessed him. So the dilemma of the book of Job is dealing with the question, can a righteous man suffer? Also alongside of Satan's accusation, can you be truly righteous if you receive all these blessings? It's easy to walk in obedience if you're being blessed. But can you really be God's champion, blameless and faithful, if you don't have any of that. And that's what happens. God says, very well. Do what you will with Job, other than kill him. And Job loses everything. Now he has to wrestle with this dilemma. In many ways, the accusation that Satan brings is already dealt with. Job will not curse God. Job will stand. But now, he has questions about God. He has questions about this principle of will the righteous truly be blessed when, what, what, when, when I look at what happened to me, he's saying. He doesn't understand it. And the rest of the book deals with this accusation from his friends I wonder if we can relate to this. The confusion that comes when we go through pain and anguish and suffering and we don't get it. We don't understand it. We're trying to walk faithful. Imperfectly, yes, we know, but we're doing our best and then something happens. Our loved ones die. Our health is gone. 
our comforts taken away. And why would we serve God then? Isn't he doing something that, that we don't deserve? Even when we have correct theology and understand what's going on, this is a temptation for us. Because often we function according to this retribution principle, even if we're not aware of it. Often we think that when we continue to do good, God must love us more. We must think, God must love me more now than when I first believed. I'm more sanctified. And then, kind of by default, we might think that, might, that must mean that we'll be more blessed. That we will be secure, that we will be safe. But that's not the way we see it in our own lives, and that's not what happened to Job himself. And so this dilemma then turns into Job's error. And this is where we must be careful There's a lot of confusion regarding the book of Job itself, and it is and can be a very confusing book. There is also confusion regarding the person of Job himself. Who is this man? Was he he a great man? Well, God says as much, but then then later in the book where we'll get to, he answers him the way he does, and we must think Job did something wrong, or what's going on here? What we see is that the boxing match of Job versus Satan in this temporal affair on this earth is over but it's this is after the fact the rest of the chapters of Job come when Job's in the locker room after the boxing match and he's hurt and he's bruised and he's broken and he's questioning this is something every believer does face maybe not to this extent maybe you haven't faced it in your life to any strong degree but you will We will all be here to a certain extent. And now Job finds his character attacked. He who stood firm in this trial is being told he's a sinner. And so what's his error? It's in trying to vindicate himself more than vindication of God. Again, we need to be clear, Job does never turn away from God. He never turns his back on him. But he does say, no, I'm in the right. He wants his own vindication in the charge that his friends are bringing and he loses sight of the vindication of God. He may even be questioning God's faithfulness, maybe even God's justice. But we need to be careful there because God always describes Job as a righteous man. What's brilliant about the book of Job is we really get to see the inner turmoil of a believer and the questions that he might have, what might go too far, that he asks these questions. Many of the questions he asks we find in the Psalms, in the Psalms of Lamentation. But what's lacking in Job is it seems to be the added balance of not my will but yours be done, I trust in you, God, that the statement of faith, the statement of faith in that God is faithful, that that I don't need to be vindicated here, that's what seems to be going on. And what we see in Job's error is actually our own. How we all function and make the same mistake. 
we should be able to relate to Job here. We should be able to see that we, we have the same fear or anxiety at times. We have the same charge against God that, no, I'm in the right. I've done nothing to deserve this. We ask, why me? And when we ask that, we are in effect asking, as one commentator says, we may start out asking why we deserve this, but ultimately the question we arrive at is, what kind of God are you? In all our difficult experiences, eventually we arrive at the place where it is no longer God, is no longer us, but God who is on trial. It's very easy for us to flip the trial and put God on the stand. Job even wants that as much. He says in chapter 13, verse 3, But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. He wants a hearing with God, a trial. Not because he doesn't love God, but because he wants to vindicate himself. What's interesting, as we as the reader know, Job's vindication was never at issue. The only people who doubted and questioned it was Satan and his three friends. God never did. We look back at the beginning, it was Job who had this honored position of being God's champion here. But Job is seeking this vindication, and that's his goal. In another verse, chapter 13, verse 15, you really get an insight into Job's heart. He says about God, Though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. He calls for this trial and this hearing, and he gets it. He gets it. He wants answers, and God comes to him. Now we at this time might feel a little like, how how does Job get this answer? How often do we ask, God, what are you doing here? And, And we don't receive this answer, but in fact, this is our own answer too. What God does in Job is for us all to read, for us all to apply to our own lives, to our own suffering and situations. And we must hear the same charge, are you serving God for no reason? Are you bringing charges against him? Do you want to be vindicated rather than glorify God? So Job has spoken in such a way that sought to vindicate himself, and Job has seemingly overstepped his bounds. And asking for these explanations of God, asking for this trial, God comes, but what we see is that he is not a tame God. He is not a God that we can put in a box and control or manipulate. Let's turn to God's answer in response to Job in Job 38. We will read the first 18 verses of Job 38. The trial has begun, and we read, Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. 
Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, if you know all this. And the chapter continues and goes on and on. And if we had time to read it, it would be very beneficial. We see here God's answer. And his answer is not to explain to Job why Job was going through this. His answer was that, who is greater here, me or you? Who understands more, me or you? God answers Job out of the storm, or could be the whirlwind. He comes to him in a power of nature, showing his might. And he actually speaks with Job. This is perhaps my favorite story in the Bible, because here you see, in such an such a easily grasped way, God's holiness, his power, his might. And the way it comes is is not as an unloving father. God is coming to his child and correcting him gently. He's coming to him and saying, you're bringing these charges against me, but you don't know. How could you? I will ask you and you make it known to me. Job wanted a trial before God And God came and then put Job on the stand and said, I will answer you, but first explain this to me. And what he was saying is, if you can answer these things, then you are God, and then I'll answer you. And again, we as the reader can understand why God didn't explain the situation to Job. Satan's accusation was that Job would not serve God if he knew he'd be blessed. If God had come to Job and said, Job, this is what you're going to go through. But don't worry. You're going to be a great champion for me, and then afterwards I'm going to bless you and give all these blessings. Would that not have almost proven Satan's statement? No, God comes and says, you don't know what's going on here. In essence, veiled behind all of these statements of his power is the call, trust in my wisdom. I who created the world. I who bound up the sea. I can humiliate the proud. I can tear them down. Trust in me. 
See, Job was a suffering servant for God. He just didn't understand fully why he was suffering. But that's what he was. And we'll see a bit later that in this, he was actually pointing to Christ as this suffering servant, answering the question, can a righteous man suffer? And the answer is yes. Yes, he can. But it's in God's wisdom. It's God who decides to dispense blessings and also tests. God doesn't tempt, we know that. God does not put sin in our lives, but he will at times let the devil and his demons and even our sinful flesh have more of a free reign so that we do draw nearer to him, so that we do learn about God. That we learn to cast ourselves before him and trust in God's greater wisdom. And we need to hear this. We don't know the grand purposes that God is doing in each and every one of our lives. Now, I'm not saying that this is applied to us, that, yeah, that God tells Satan, go after so-and-so. No, I'm not saying that. But what's put on display in Job is what we do go through in smaller scales. That the thing we're suffering or the thing we're going through and don't understand it is ultimately our suffering for the glory of God. How we respond and it will give him glory. It's easy to become beat down in our trials and questions and lose heart. And Job is the answer that the world itself needs. It doesn't pull any punches. We see suffering here and we see pain and we see the truth of the answer. That God knows what he's doing. And in essence, he tells us in telling Job, when you bring these charges against me, who do you think you are? Who's the child here and who's the parent? Who knows what's best for you? Who do you think you are to harbor these questions in yourself and seek your own vindication rather than mine? especially when we know the character of God. And it's so difficult and easy for us to ask these questions. God tells Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? He says, dress for action like a man. Throughout the book of Job, there's a contest of wisdom between Job and his friends. Who can, and and that's why there's so many chapters of this poetic wisdom literature And Job's friends will say what they think is right. And Job responds with what his wisdom is. And Job is proven over his friends to be the more wise. Job, in in some respects, wins that contest with his friends. Then God comes and says, you think you know so much, prove it. Answer me. I am God, who are you? In essence, God is the parent telling the child... Obey because I said so. We all have gone through that. I'm sure many of us tell our own children that. When you tell them to do something and they say, why, why? Well, if they don't understand the answer, if they shouldn't know the answer, 
One of the best things as a parent is to do is to say, because I said so. Not in an angry way, not in a frustrated way, but you know what's best for them. For your little child, who wouldn't understand the explanation, but you know. And if we can do that to our children, shouldn't God be able to do that to us? This isn't supposed to sound like a, something that, yeah, you're going through trials, so just, just grin and bear it. That's not what we hear. No, it's to fall on a loving God who we trust, who has the greater wisdom. And we should especially trust this when we have seen and heard of the ultimate answer to the dilemma of the book of Job. If Job is dealing with the question, how can a righteous man suffer, is not the cross in Jesus Christ the greatest example of that? The greatest example of a suffering servant who did nothing wrong and yet was the seed of the woman who crushed Satan's head. Who was God's champion. Who God in essence told Satan, go after. Strike his heel. And in so doing, the greater wisdom of God was shown because Satan's head was crushed. God, throughout redemptive history, has been beating Satan. It's not really a contest. Satan doesn't stand up to God, but God has put it on display numerous times when he raises up someone and Satan cannot defeat him. And our answer isn't then to look at Job and praise Job. It's to look at God and praise God. It's to look at him and see how his plan brought us the ultimate suffering servant who faced greater pain than what Job did and didn't open his mouth. Who bore it for our sake and didn't, he never sought to vindicate himself. He left that in God's hands. And you know what? God did vindicate Jesus in the resurrection. It was God stamping his approval and saying, yes, you are vindicated. Well, he also does the same to Job here. In the end of the book, God will only forgive Job's three friends if Job prays for them. And then he blesses Job. And what these blessings show us is that this retribution principle on the grand ultimate scale is true. The righteous will be blessed and the wicked will perish. But the wisdom of God dictates that on this earth, that's not always the way it functions. In fact, God brought about our salvation through rejecting the retribution principle and putting Jesus through that suffering on our behalf. Then we see Job's response. How does Job respond to all this? In chapter 42, 1-6, to says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, Listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. 
The answer of God was sufficient for Job. The only answer God gave is, I know more than you. And Job said, yes, you do. And the trial was done. And people of God, this is how we need to see God. Job says that he had only heard of God, now he sees him. Now is he speaking only of this whirlwind, of this storm? I mean, I think that's included, but I think he sees God through what God told him. How much more clearly do we see God through his son having been sent to us? The ultimate answer, the ultimate wisdom of God is Jesus Christ. That is our answer in all of our suffering. Even in the suffering we go through right now, our suffering is for Jesus' sake. Our suffering gives God glory. And that's the wisdom of Job. This is the God we serve. This is how he reveals himself to us. Well, how we should respond is walking out in awe of the plan and the wisdom of God. We should respond in thanksgiving. Not that we want to go through trials. Not that we can't pray that God would remove the trials we are in. But that when God does call us to go through them, we do so trusting in his wisdom. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word and what it tells us and what it shows us. Now we can be brought to a greater understanding of you. We pray that as we would depart from here, that this word would stick with us, that it would transform our lives, but ultimately that you would be glorified. Ultimately that we would trust in your greater wisdom, for we have seen it already on display in your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond in song.